Hello, welcome, hey. to, welcome to another condition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. You tried to get me jump off sides I like did. a football team here, but it did not work. I did. In in our Zoom, I like made a, made a motion like I was it talking. Literally, for football fans, it literally looks what, like what happens when they try to get the other team to jump off sides. I need to like clap a couple of times, <laughs> yell Omaha. Omaha. Yeah, see what... See what I can do. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm Joe Patrice from Bud the Law. That's Catherine Rubino. We are not joined by Chris this week, so we can jump directly into the thing that we do first. Yeah, we should do that. You know, I haven't rec- we haven't recorded in such a long time. I've almost we forgotten recorded what last goes week. first. Well, no, I mean, I guess one we week did, ago, but like yeah, but but I've forgotten the oh, order of the show. Are you having memory issues because you're old? Oh, that's it. The first thing Memory we do is issues, small talk. Because he's old. Yeah, we do do small talk. But look at it, you got your dumb sound off, and I got it insulted. It was like win win for the two of us. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, over Zoom, I could see in your eyes you were planning something, so that did not terrify me the, as much as it did previously. Well, fine. Uh, so yeah. So small talk. Uh, we had a, a holiday, a federal holiday last week was Thanksgiving. How was your holiday, Joe? Was good. Was good. Did a lot I, of cooking, did you? I did. I did. You know, it's sad that we don't have Chris here because longtime listeners know that Chris argues with me about the stance that turkey is good uh, and great. Uh, it is often dry and bad because people don't know how to cook it properly. But if you do know how to make it properly, it's... Do you have some secret recipe for us that you're about to share? I do. Well, no, I'm not necessarily going to share, but I do. I make... Oh, because it's that secret. Well, it's not that. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty basic. Like, you've got to, like, you've got to care for the bird in the preparation, and you've got to do your brining. Lots of brine time. Yeah, you got to, you got to come up with good mixes for that. You've got to do your injecting and all this sort of stuff. But if you do that, it's good. So you, did your turkey come out particularly good this year? It did. In fact, I, you know, and I wanted to deal with Chris on this, but I actually got an off-the-cuff compliment about it that was huge. Uh, I had guests, and one of them was a uh, high schooler who what the, the parents forced to eat some of my turkey who off-the-cuff said, wow, I, I've never liked turkey before. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Because if you do it right, it is fantastic. Lots anyway, of injectables. You know, yeah, the, you, you do a lot of things. Uh, you've got to be willing to step out of the box of, hey, I'm just going to throw this bird in as is. And, you know, you've got to season it like you would anything else that you're trying well, to make good. I think that one of the bigger issues with turkeys is at least how they're mostly done in the United States is that they're these giant birds that you're given to you frozen, right? Yeah. So in order to actually do your bird correctly, you have to start like over a week early, right? Because you have to have plenty of time for it to fully defrost. You have to have time for it to brine. It's a it's a it's a much longer process than, than many a lot people of people hope take for. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's right. Obviously if you can get a fresh bird, you can jump right in. But if you're but if you're not wanting to spend $75 on a 10-pound bird, yeah, well, you can, and you want to get one free because you've done the rest of your grocery shopping I think there's a, there's a distinction between a fresh bird from a grocery store and a fresh bird, like, I, I definitely Heritage know somebody. Heritage farms kind of yeah, stuff. I yeah, I definitely know somebody who gets them directly from a farm, and they are spending, like, $75 for the bird there. I'm not necessarily going that route, but, yeah. 
yeah, no, you've got to you've got to plan ahead and and you know have a vision of what you want it to be seasoned like and mm-hmm. do it. Anyway. Well, my family was in town from Texas. Okay. Um, yeah. I have two Yeehaw. nieces. Yeah. Well, you know, I have, I have two nieces. They are nine and 11 and they went to their first Broadway show. Ooh. They saw um, Wicked, which is a great Broadway show. Uh, but the thing that really got me is the youngest was, was very upset because oh theater that the Gershwin theater that Wicked is housed in is not actually on the street of Broadway. Well, it's a Broadway theater. It's not on the street of Broadway. And she had lots of questions (laughs) about whether or not it could be off Broadway, but still considered Broadway. So what you've got is a budding textualist. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's, she's like in the, the text of the document is very clear. It should be on Broadway. This is on eighth Avenue. So I'm very confused. Yeah. And it doesn't even, it doesn't even fit originalism because the original (laughs) interpretation of the word Broadway was being on Broadway. They see, see, but, uh, it is elitist. So maybe it gets in that way. Oh, you living constitutionalist. Yeah. (laughs) Well, anyway, so yeah. Uh, so that's what's going on with all of us, I guess. So are we ready to be done with that? I'm just going to say something so you can interrupt me. Oh, sorry. That was the end of small talk. So what are we talking about? I think you had a follow-up to a pretty interesting story that a judge was a little um, testy, I guess, when somebody, when a lawyer failed to show up. Yeah. So uh, law and crime, which does a lot of court TV, what we used to call court TV sort of stuff. I I shouldn't say they do court TV stuff. They, They do a lot of live look-ins at trials and so on uh, to, you know, show the American public that trials are incredibly dull and boring, generally <laughs> speaking. Anyway, but they had, they're covering a fairly high-profile case of a homicide. And during it, what, one, of the, one of the episodes that was caught on this camera was the trial couldn't go forward with jury selection because the defendant's attorney did not show up. Uh, At this point, the judge was informed the attorney didn't show up because he had suffered a stroke. Seems like a good reason not to show up. Fairly good reason. The judge did not believe it was a stroke. uh, Claimed there was no reason to believe this was a stroke. Pointed out that the court had not been informed through the proper rules-based channels that a stroke had happened. Not query whether or not we well, need to stand I mean, well, on ceremony. Also, when I think has a when that sort of thing happens, it's rarely the the actual person who suffered the stroke or whatever that's making the call. It's probably a family member or somebody from the hospital or maybe you know somebody else who works in their office, maybe the a firm, paralegal, yeah. right? Sure, somebody like that. You might think that standing on pure ceremony was a little was was too high a bar to to really. Certainly seemed like it from my perspective. Anyway, so that so so that happened. Uh, held him in contempt. Claimed that she was going to report him to the state bar for having this. a stroke. Uh, look, uh, maybe there was something we had not seen. Maybe there was some developed relationship between the judge and the attorney that gave the judge reason to believe all these things. That said, it struck me that faking a stroke was an extreme response. <laughs> yeah, you, you might go first with like, my grandparent died. Yeah. Classic, classic for a reason. Great. So, so many options that you would run through before you went with faking a stroke, which, mind you, requires you to then live 
that truth for the rest of the trial, right? Like if you've just John had, Fetterman is any yeah, indication right. that's certainly true. I mean, now question whether or not this means that the trial should be held until the attorney is well enough to attend or whether or not this is a good excuse to put it on ice for a while until a new lawyer could be brought up to speed. Those questions and outstanding. Anyway, the the follow up to this is and I, I this this is going to absolutely shock literally no one. <laughs> The, Maybe the, the attorney <laughs> did have a stroke. Sure. Uh, because sure. nobody fakes having a stroke. Yeah, it's it's to not your go to. Yeah. So the judge had uh, has not, as far as I can tell, said anything yet about this. Uh, has got to go. <laughs> no, my bad. Yeah. You actually had a stroke. Yeah. No bar complaint forthcoming. Like from from the beginning, this made no sense. Like mm-hmm. even if you don't believe this story which you probably sure. should. But even if you don't believe this story, why is your response, I'm not buying it, as opposed to something more like, oh my God, that's horrible, yada yada, that said, you know, we've had some issues in the past. Certainly this court will, you know, if the court comes into any information suggesting it's false, we are going to respond negatively. But, you know, begin from the premise that it's true rather than immediately jump to the idea that it isn't. Maybe in some past life, this judge was a teacher or a principal and had to deal with lots of fake excuses from students. I don't know. I, I don't know. Even if you even if you do, I think you begin from the premise that it's true and and maybe <laughs> and, you and use kind your, of embarrass them into admitting it's fake. Well, use your commentary to be. Mm. Not, hey, we aren't believing this, but, you know, obviously this is all true, yada, yada, yada. We grant this, you know, abeyance of uh, the case for now, but, We would you know, like to see a doctor's note. We would like to see, unfortunately, this is the world we live in. We need to see all the documentation, and I will reserve judgment until late, yada, yada, yada. And then nobody would even notice this. It would not become a story, that's for sure. Right. Well, and it also gets you thinking, how much is this happening in courtrooms across the country where there aren't cameras broadcasting out this fairly embarrassing clip. Yeah. I mean, I think that judges certainly can rule in idiosyncratic ways. And I, I think that a sort of attitude or, you know, default stance that flies in one courtroom is not how every judge would act. On the other hand, the flip side would be, to what extent is this only happening because there are cameras in the courtroom would a judge be more reserved less likely to think that so it's they're, at, they're kind of putting on a show well but either putting on a show or believing the attorney is putting on a show mm. uh maybe that was also coloring the decision making to think oh well this is grandstanding on the attorney's part like maybe the existence of the camera there was driving some of this too it's it's maybe. an interesting question maybe yeah. but at the end of it the judge is the one that looks bad no, definitely the judge is the one that looks bad here. Uh, the attorney in his statement uh, when he was interviewed after the fact said, you know, she made me look really terrible. And I was like, oh, no, no, she did not. Uh, <laughs> no, it from jump, she looked, she's the one who looked terrible. Anyway, so yeah, that's the setup there. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. 
Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at calidusai.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. All right, we're back. What are we talking about now? Want to talk about the LSAT? Let's talk about the LSAT, considered a rite of passage for most uh, lawyers. Is certainly the traditional law school entrance exam, although in recent years, the GRE has made inroads as an alternative to the LSAT. But behind the sort of GRE LSAT battle has always been the ABA requirement that there be a testing requirement to law school admission. Right. So we have, there's an ABA requirement that to be accredited at the law school, you have to historically give the LSAT. And then it became, you have to give a test of, a standardized test of certain levels of reliability, which included the GRE. The navigating the ABA is like navigating some literal Byzantine uh, (laughs) administrative organization. But the group within the ABA responsible for overseeing law schools, but not with any policymaking power itself, has voted again, it has done this before, to get rid of this requirement entirely, such that standardized tests would no longer be required by the ABA by the ABA for a law school to have accreditation. Right. This rule now will be voted on at the mid-year meeting in February by the ABA House of Delegates, which is the entity that could approve so as of february it could still be that the a test is still required so we're not necessarily at that point yet but obviously this recommendation indeed the last time this came up the rule was pulled and tabled before it got to the house of delegates Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that obviously there's a lot of talk and commentary about what will happen what should happen what should law school admissions look like but As of right now, it's still speculative. We have no final ruling from the ABA. So what we have, we do have, and this is some, this is what ties it back into last week's show sort of is we have a series of law schools and more have joined in since last week, series of law schools saying, hey, we're not going to participate in the U.S. news rankings anymore. And what that generally means is we're not going to give them GPA and LSAT admissions data, because that is the sort of information that you can get from a law school to U.S. News. Most Mm -hmm. other things, you can get other sources. Uh, So you have law schools taking this principled stance, we don't want to encourage this input-based world of caring about LSATs with one hand, and then with the other, complaining that getting rid of this rule is a bad thing. There was a Letter signed by 60 deans of law schools objecting to this. Uh, Their argument 
ostensibly is that they believe the LSAT is critical to protecting diversity, that it is a important tool used by law schools to sort of evaluate candidates blind without having to look at, you know, mm-hmm. all the other inputs that could easily be reflective of. It's, you know. It seems to me that getting rid of any requirement would only increase flexibility. Well, that that certainly seems like seems like seems to me as the accurate. Like, I don't know. Like the the argument. I don't necessarily. First of all, there we already have Kaplan already. Uh, you know the 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 test prep company uh, already did a survey on this mm-hmm. and found that overwhelmingly, law school admissions say if this rule were to happen, we'd still probably tell people to take the LSAT. Right. So, it would certainly be favorably looked at if you took the LSAT. Right. So all it really does is remove the requirement that it be there, which I think I think is a critical step because well, I, because ultimately the way in which a rankings like the US News rankings exists is because the LSAT is universally considered. Right. Uh, and because the univer- it's universal and everybody has to have it, then they are in a position to say, hey, everyone has it, and your law school let in more people below who this had threshold. Low- right. or, yeah. Sure. And, and like if you don't have, and, and that's why it's so weird that you're getting this from the, some of the same people who are complaining about the US news rankings, because if you didn't have this test required, you could still get the test scores from most of the applicants and have some applicants not give it Mm -hmm. and whatever. And then you have an excuse for not reporting it, which means you have that flexibility without worrying about a ranking coming after you. Like, it seems like it all fits together. And the argument that it improves diversity, I think, is potentially true, but I don't understand why it is universally true. I, I do think there are probably people who are outstanding potential attorneys. And the LSAT is uniquely qualified. Uh, Over time, we have seen this. We've seen Mm -hmm. tons of evidence to suggest that success on the LSAT translates to your ability to pass the bar and be be a good lawyer down the road. So it's a great test. That said, sure, there's going to be some people that the LSAT identifies who may otherwise, by virtue of not having all sorts of access to privilege, have not as good a resume otherwise. And so the LSAT's great for that. Mm -hmm. That said, I can imagine the opposite is also true. (laughs) I could also see somebody who is a valedictorian at their school who's great and whatever, but, you know, doesn't have thousands and thousands of dollars to spend on LSAT prep programs and therefore, or, you know, doesn't respond well to pressure, you know, to standardized tests sure, and, and those Certainly pressures. standardized tests have been criticized for diversity issues. Yeah, it te- standardized testing has been long been criticized mm-hmm. for racial and class bias. Obviously, the people who build these tests spend a lot of time and energy in not being sure. biased, but you know, it's there. So given that all of those concerns, I think it's equally plausible that a lot of times admissions might look at a resume and say, this person is great and they just had a bad LSAT score. And, and more to the point, if these law deans do feel very strongly, they can continue to require the LSAT yeah. for admission to their law school. Yeah. 
so the flip side of this argument, so they they try to make this it's all about diversity argument, which I think we've we have some good reasons to believe it either a is not a determinative factor in, in ensuring diversity, and if anything, maybe a problematic one to religiously adhere to. The other side of it is they argue that the LSAT is impo- an important check on disreputable law schools that are trying to, you know, mm-hmm. dangle the promise of a JD in front of people who are not likely to have a good career and therefore leave them ridden with debt, which is a fair point. But on the other hand, we got law schools out here who are bringing in people with 148 averages sure. of, of of the class body, which an average obviously means on both sides. So they're bringing in people who may well be scoring in the mid to low 140s. And, you know, if if that's happening now, yeah. then I don't understand what the LSAT's really preventing. <laughs> you know, if, if that's the argument, then I don't really see that as a reason to keep the test because it seems to be failing at that sort of check level. Right. So well, anyway, the LSAT. Certainly check back in with this story in February when they may, may vote on the issue. Yeah, uh, we, we definitely will be on top of this. I think it, I, and as I said, I do think this story is not being mixed in with the U.S. News ranking story mm-hmm. as much as it should be. Right. I think these should both be considered as related stories and not cabined into two different areas. Anyway, that's, that's my soapbox on that. Closing out today, let's talk about uh, big law and where they sit. Obviously, we talked bonuses have theoretically started. We haven't gotten, as of this recording, any follow-on bonuses. Although we are very anxiously hitting refresh on our emails, even throughout the course of this recording. That's right. And this maybe this is a time to give a plug. Hey, those of you who don't send the memos of, of when bonus announcements come out or when any story about your firm happens uh, to tips at com because you think, I'm sure they're hearing it from someone else. That may be true, but we would rather have 15 tips from one firm than a f- find out four days later from one person because nobody else had bothered to send it. Yeah, I think there's a couple other things I want to kind of push on on that point. The first is your your take on it is always going to be as little different than someone else's and hearing kind of from multiple different folks at a firm what stands out to them from a, a bonus memo is often valuable, although please feel free also just to send it without any commentary if it's like, yep, exactly what I expected. Of course, that's fine as well. We also have a text-only line, and it's 646-820-8477. So you don't even have to. You could just take a screenshot with your phone and sending it right over Right, to us. because we do treat these anonymously, up to mm-hmm. and including. We will, depending on the how much commentary you give, uh, we will sometimes even paraphrase your commentary so that it's not idiosyncratic and potentially identifiable. Uh, Obviously, the more generic your commentary can be, the easier it is for us to directly quote it. But yeah, we keep you anonymous and and all. So by all means, let us know. Frankly, the firms, unless they're really screwing you over, and most firms aren't uh, on their bonuses, they want this information out. Uh, Mm -hmm. So frankly, the firms themselves, to the extent you're all listening, uh, you should just let us know too, because the bonus game is signaling to the market that you are intending to play with the uh, 
big kids table. So Or the Baker McKenzie's of the world as it currently stands. Right. Well, actually, that's a good example of why somebody needs to give commentary, because when we first got that tip, mm -hmm. which we got a little late after a weekend because nobody had let us know, I got it anonymous, so like just anonymously dropped with no commentary. And I wrote it up. And what I had not really realized until we got a response from our tipster was actually not even from the same tipster, I don't think, from a different tipster going, well, but this is actually bad because last year they also had a follow-on bonus for special bonuses big, were the name of the game last year. Billers, and that wasn't included in this memo. And I knew that that had happened, but I thought those were two separate memos. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were actually in the same one last year, so that that's useful information to provide as, hey, we actually aren't happy that we're slightly ahead of the market standard at the bottom of the scale, like the, for the first years and second years because of this lack of that that's commentary that's useful so all right we've now we've now basically we were this was not a story yeah that we've we were given marching about orders bonuses. for far too yeah. long <laughs> so yeah anyway what what's happening so the other the other story that we are want to actually talk about yes. is about big law and preparations for next year the same way bonuses kind of prepare us for next year as well uh there was a survey by wells fargo um legal specialty group, and it revealed that big law is planning on raising its rates next year, which, you know, you figure most, most business. Oh, there you go. I yeah, like that one. It's also not intrusive, which is unlike a lot of your sound effects, but you know, lots of businesses plan on increasing rates, especially, you know, God forbid somebody has a little bit of, you know, inflation to deal with, but you expect that. What you don't necessarily expect is the size of the rate increase, which, according to the survey, is around 8%, which is the largest rate increase since Wells Fargo began tracking rate increases in big law. Now, in fairness, this is happening. Inflation has, CPI has happened, mm -hmm. over, has increased over the last year. Prior to this, rates had not been increasing in line with CPI, which was the result of another survey that we reported on at the time. So to some extent, this is catch up to what had happened in the market. Still beforehand. feels a little bit like spitting in someone's face. You know, don't spit in my face and tell me it's raining because not only is it the largest increase in a time when lots of businesses are dealing with or anticipating an economic decline, but you're also seeing a decrease in demand. There's like a 1.1% decrease in demand through the first nine months uh, for the AMLAW 100 in 2022 over 2021. So you're seeing a decrease in demand. It's not necessarily the time you think, <laughs> I could definitely jack up my rates right about now. Yeah, well, uh, it, it is a, it's always a difficult question and whenever I see these numbers and I don't you know, gather them myself. So I always appreciate when we talk to folks who are doing the actual number crunching. What always gets me is this is a sector-based industry. And yeah, in a world where people are facing hard times, increasing your rates on the prototypical mom and pop store is probably an issue. Raising them on Exxon at this point, for instance, is that really a problem? Sure. I mean, we are already, yes, inflation exists, but this is also companies who are experiencing massive windfall profits despite the fact the economy is slowing down. Uh, these are companies that are using the money that they have for stock buybacks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, there is an argument to be had that while prices are going up all over the place, 
these folks are a washing cash and it's time to get your share of that. Now, will these companies pass that on and drive up inflation down the, down the pike too? Of course, because they're immoral that way. But, <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't necessarily blame the big corporate serving law firms in saying, look at this. These guys are making more profits than ever. Uh, they can afford to pay us a little bit more. Yeah, and it's it's true. While clients have the ability to choose a variety of different law firms, oftentimes when you've done business with a particular law firm, there's a tremendous advantage that is probably less than 8% of your total bill to keeping it with the same partners and attorneys that ha are familiar with your business, don't have that learning curve. So there's also sort of a cost built in if you wanted to try to find a cheaper alternative. Yeah, no, it... It strikes me as though when it comes to law, law firm finances always that the elasticity, at least at the top, mm -hmm. seems almost infinite. It seems like the top tier of law firms can raise their rates almost infinitely and they will still get paid because we, we live in a world in which there are ways in which a law firm could identify cheaper mid-sized and local and regional alternatives right. uh, that they could be d going after. And we see time and time again, at least at the top, that is not happening. Mm -hmm. No matter how much more expensive, well, what the, the old phrase is no one gets fired for hiring Cravath or whatever. Sure. Like you, yeah. you, are you are willing to spend more money to avoid, you know, to cover yourself. And to the extent that's happening, I don't see a reason why these firms wouldn't increase, especially if the recession seems, at least thus far, to be born at this point by people at the bottom of the economic scale rather not than your, being not suffered Not big loss client base, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, well, I think that uh, that brings us close to the end. I think so. Yeah. All right, well. Bye. No, what? No. What? You don't do that. <laughs> no, this is like this is like a Marvel movie. You've got to like go through the credits, and there then there might be something at fun at the end. I mean, probably not, but maybe. Yeah. So anyway, you should be subscribed to the show uh, so that you get new episodes when they come out. You should give it reviews, stars, write something. All that's very useful. You should listen to other shows. She's the host of the Jabot. I'm guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable most weeks. Obviously, we've been off the last couple. Uh, mm -hmm. You should listen to the other shows in the Legal Talk Network. You should follow us on social media, at least to the extent it still exists in this world. Uh, Above the Law is at ATL blog. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. That's the numeral one. That is the numeral one there at the end. For at least as long as Twitter is around. Right. We also have other social media accounts like Instagram and stuff, but we haven't really... We are still very active there as a blog. We are not necessarily as active there as journalists, reporters. Yeah. Uh, but soon, I'm sure we'll have to get get on the Mastodon thing like everybody else is. Not excited about that. Yeah, well, I mean, whatever. Anyway, so you should be reading Above the Law so you see all of these stories before we even talk about them so that you can uh, know about that. By all means, give us tips when you see wacky things you want us to write about and talk about and all definitely 
Again, that's tips at abovethelaw.com, or you can text us 646-820-8477. You know, it's too bad Chris isn't here because he issued a challenge to our audience last week, and I actually did get a response to that that we were going to talk about, and then Chris didn't even show up. Oh, so if you're listening, we're going to get to you next time we'll get Chris here. That'll be small talk at some point in the future. And I think that's it, folks. Peace. I think so. All right. Okay. Bye. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.